Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Sorry. Just choking on my aspirations for tackling the Star Wars movie. I'm good. I'm good. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 46, Rogue One, aka Rogue One, a Star Wars story. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm just going to call it Rogue One. Uh, I hope you're all staying safe and well uh, and obviously there's still social distancing going on. Um, I know it's being relaxed here slowly, but still, please stay safe everyone. And hopefully the world will return to some form of normality soon. If you're new to Verbal Diorama, welcome to my podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, And also thank you for the positive response to Little Shop of Horrors, uh, which was the previous episode that I put out. Um, I'm always so grateful for positive feedback. um, And I've had a lot for Little Shop of Horrors. um, And also just some really nice feedback in general, which is really nice to hear. You'll notice that there was a gap in between the releases of Little Shop and of Rogue One. Um, and that Rogue One was supposed to come out last week and it didn't. Um, and this was actually intentional. Um, and I want to explain the reason why uh, I decided not to put an episode out. Um, and that was because just recently there was yet another abhorrent and horrific death of uh, a black person by figures of authority who are supposed to protect and serve. Um, And it just kind of once again highlights the racial prejudices and injustice and just the prevalence of it, not just in America, but everywhere. Um, And so I wanted to take some time to show my support um, and my solidarity with Black Lives Matter and with the black community in general. Um, I decided to make a donation to the George Floyd Memorial Fund And honestly, I took some time to reflect on my own white privilege. Um, And as part of all that, I decided not to release Rogue One. Um, And I just felt that a movie about a fictional rebellion, firstly, 
if it doesn't matter what it was about, I probably wouldn't have released it. But especially a movie about a fictional rebellion, I just kind of felt like we are in the middle of a very important real life rebellion. And it just it just didn't feel right. So I decided to postpone this um, release. So this is obviously coming out a week later. Um, and this is obviously my first venture into the Star Wars universe um, with Rogue One. And it's kind of a separate entity to the whole sort of Skywalker saga. And I've always been a bit hesitant to cover Star Wars just because it's so polarising, especially the prequels and the spin-offs and the sequels to the original trilogy. Um, And there are a lot of people, um, let's call them internet fanboys, who refuse to acknowledge certain movies as canon, which is fine. You have your opinions. Um, The way I look at it is if you have an opinion that you don't like something, that's absolutely fine. But don't go out of your way to berate others for enjoying those movies. I know a lot of people do enjoy the prequels and the sequels and the spin-offs. Um, me personally, I've seen the original trilogy many times. Um, I've seen the prequels a few times. I don't probably, do you know what? Probably even less than that. Maybe even like once or twice a movie. Um, and the sequels definitely saw The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi twice. Uh, but so far I've only seen The Rise of Skywalker once. Um, and for the record, I think they're all fine movies. Um, I think that they all have they all have problems, certainly, um, but they also have a lot of positives about them as well. Um, I'm not particularly fond of the prequels, uh, but I appreciate what they're trying to do. I appreciate that they're trying to set up this story. Um, and I would say that Rogue One, obviously being independent of a lot of stuff going on in the canonical Skywalker saga, is so different that it's easier to talk about on its own. Um, which is one of the reasons why I've chosen it. Um, It's not the best Star Wars movie. It's not my favourite Star Wars movie, certainly, but I like it a lot. Um, I appreciate there are those that don't. Uh, I don't really expect that they're listening, but if they are, um, hello. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I have a lot of respect and a lot of love for Rogue One and what it tried to do. So I think the best thing we can do is listen to the trailer for Rogue One uh, because as many people know there were reshoots on this movie and a lot of what was in the trailer ultimately didn't make it on screen um, but to be honest I know there's a lot of hoo-ha about that but that happens a lot like um, I mentioned recently in Bridesmaids that a lot of that trailer was literally just ad-libbing which never made it into the movie so it's more common than you think but I think people picked up on Rogue One because there was a lot um but anyway here's the trailer for Rogue One the world is coming undone imperial flags rain across the galaxy Can you be trusted without your shackles? Let's just get this over with, shall we? We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help. Good. Good. I've been recruiting for the rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the Empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. 
The captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. There isn't much time. Every day they grow stronger. There is a 97.6% chance of failure. He means well. This is our chance to make a real difference. Are you with me? All the way. Scientist Galen Erso lives on a farm with his wife Lyra and young daughter Jin. His peaceful existence comes crashing down when the evil Orson Krennic kills his wife and forces him to work on their new project. Many years later, Galen becomes the Empire's lead engineer for the most powerful weapon in the galaxy, the Death Star. Knowing that her father holds the key to its destruction, Jin joins forces with a spy and other resistance fighters to steal the space station's plans for the Rebel Alliance. And let's just quickly talk about the cast, because this is actually a really good cast. Uh, it's a multicultural cast as well, which I think just adds to one of the reasons why I really like this movie so much, because it's probably, I would say, the most multicultural Star Wars movie. And I think it really benefits from from having that representation on screen. So we have Felicity Jones as Jin Erso, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, Ben Mendelsohn as Orson Krennic, Donnie Yen as Chirrut Imwe, Mads Mikkelsen as Galen Erso, Alan Tudyk as K2SO. Um, you remember Alan Tudyk was recently in the episode on A Knight's Tale. Expect him to pop up again next month. That's what I'm going to say about Alan Tudyk. Uh, Riz Ahmed as Bodhi Rook, Jiang Wen as Baze Malbus and Forrest Whitaker as Saw Guerrera. Additionally, the likeness of Peter Cushing was inserted over actor Guy Henry, who performed the motion capture and voice work for Grand Moff Tarkin, and the likeness of Carrie Fisher was on actor Ingvild Daler, with Carrie Fisher's voice inserted from archival footage. In addition, Jimmy Smits as Bail Organa, Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma reprised their roles from the prequel trilogy, and Anthony Daniels also reprises his role as C-3PO. He is the only actor to appear in all nine Star Wars movies, plus Rogue One as C-3PO. He also does make an appearance as another character in Solo, and he also voiced C-3PO in previous Verbal Diorama episode, The Lego Movie. So another feature for Anthony Daniels there. The screenplay was by Chris White and Tony Gilroy, story by John Knoll and Gary Witter. It was directed by Gareth Edwards, who'd made his debut in 2010 with the independently produced and fantastic Monsters, which he wrote, directed. He was a cinematographer, production designer and visual effects artist. So get yourself a guy who can do it all. Uh, he also did 2014's Godzilla reboot. Obviously, Rogue One, based on characters created by George Lucas. So I want to talk a little bit about how this movie came about um, and, and really about the whole kind of Lucasfilm, Disney, just just a little bit. Probably won't be a little bit, but maybe it will be. Um, so post episodes one to three, so um, Star Wars 
episode one, The Phantom Menace, episode two, Attack of the Clones, episode three, Return of the Sith. They came out in 1999, 2002 and 2005, respectively. Uh, Industrial Light and Magic's chief creative officer and visual effects supervisor, John Knoll, started developing the original idea for Rogue One. This was after learning that George Lucas was developing a Star Wars live action TV series, which had the working title of Star Wars Underworld. Uh, That was due to be set between episode three, Revenge of the Sith and episode four, A New Hope. Star Wars Underworld was due to feature minor characters from the films and the expanded universe of Star Wars, along with cameos from the likes of the Emperor and Darth Vader, and basically provide answers to fan questions, such as how Leia could claim to remember her mother when Padme is shown dying during childbirth in Revenge of the Sith. That series was announced in 2005, but placed on hold in 2010 due to budget constraints. John Knoll's original idea was put aside during the development of the TV show and George Lucas then decided to retire from big budget filmmaking in 2012 and focus on small independent features. Kathleen Kennedy, a longtime collaborator of Steven Spielberg, became the co-chair of Lucasfilm. Kennedy would collaborate with Lucas, who would remain chief executive and serve as co-chairman for at least a year, after which Kennedy would succeed him as the sole leader of Lucasfilm. Meanwhile, in 2011, the Walt Disney Company started discussions with Lucasfilm on a possible distribution deal, during which Lucas told Bob Iger, Disney's CEO, that he was considering retiring and planned to sell the company, as well as the Star Wars franchise. Disney had already bought Pixar for $7.4 billion in 2006 and Marvel for $4.24 billion in 2009 and got a relatively good deal when they agreed to buy Lucasfilm for $4.05 billion, the sale of which was announced in October 2012 and completed in December 2012 when Lucasfilm became a wholly owned subsidiary of Disney. They then announced a seventh instalment of the Skywalker saga, in 2015 and under the deal owned not only Star Wars but also all of Lucasfilm divisions such as Industrial Light and Magic, LucasArts and all of the back catalogue of film. With the acquisition Kathleen Kennedy became president of Lucasfilm reporting to Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn and became a producer on all Star Wars feature films. The original prequel trilogy's distribution rights remained at 20th Century Fox, according to the 2012 deal, but with Disney's 2019 acquisition of 21st Century Fox, also acquired the rights to episodes 1 to 6, and in December 2013 purchased the distribution and marketing rights to future Indiana Jones films from Paramount, although Paramount still own the distribution rights to the four Indiana Jones movies, lest we forget there are indeed four, even though not many recognise Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but it is indeed the fourth Indiana Jones movie. This is also why there are no Indiana Jones movies on Disney+. It was after the Disney acquisition that John Knoll again pitched his idea to various colleagues in Lucasfilm, including Pablo Hidalgo, the creative executive in story development and a member of the newly formed Lucasfilm Story Group. And their task is to form a single cohesive continuity in Star Wars canon to assist writers and directors in the development of new stories. Because... Let's not forget, the Star Wars universe is much bigger than these movies. And it's important that the canon remains as coherent as possible. Um, but this led John Knoll to meeting with Kathleen Kennedy and Kiri Hart, another member of the story group and Lucasfilm's vice president of development. Uh, both Kennedy and Hart were excited and thought the idea that John Knoll had was too good to pass up. 
Gareth Edwards was announced to direct the first standalone anthology Star Wars movie, along with Gary Witter, to write the screenplay in May 2014, with a 16th of December 2016 release date. Um, Edwards was very clear with his vision of he wanted a dark and gritty war film set within the Star Wars extended universe. Um, but essentially, they announced a release date without any real set plan in place. Um, and that will obviously all come into play a bit later. In Gary Witter's original script, the characters did not die and the movie ended with a wedding. Um, and that was on the presumption that Disney would not allow a non-happy ending. Um, he was the one who actually coined the name Rogue One as well. Um, and in 2015, Chris White took over screenwriting duties and he included a more sombre, downbeat ending, mainly because, you know, no one mentions or sees these characters ever again. Um, and basically that the whole theme of the resistance is sacrifice so it kind of felt appropriate that all of the main characters actually ended up dead uh which sounds very morbid but when the name rogue one was announced in march 2015 so was the casting of felicity jones who had won an oscar for her performance in the theory of everything the previous year she had beaten out other actresses such as tatiana maslani and rooney mara um, at this point, no one knew the synopsis um, and many assumed it would be centred around younger versions of the characters that we already knew, uh, such as Leia or possibly even Han Solo. Um, but as we know, he had his own movie, which came out in 2018. We will talk about Solo a bit later. Additional actors considered um, were Aaron Paul, Edgar Ramirez and Sam Claflin. Um, ben Mendelsohn, Riz Ahmed and Diego Luna were announced um, as taking part in the movie in May 2015. The movie was shot at Elstree and Pinewood Studios in here in the UK, uh, which started in August 2015, along with shoots in Rainish... Oh, OK, this is not going to work. I'm not going to get this right. Rainish Farah and Myrdal Sandor in Iceland. Uh, and they were for scenes in Lamu and Edu. And the Lamu Atoll in the Maldives for Scarif and Wadi Rum in Jordan for Jeddah. You know I'm terrible with pronunciations. K2SO as the highlight. Um, and Alan Tudyk has previously uh, played both a robot and a pilot, so kind of suits him. Um, and Donnie Yen as Chirrut uh, really feels the kind of standout of the cast. Um, the partnership between Chirrut and Baze is interesting. Um, and also kind of somewhat dullens the relationship between Jin and Cassian because it feels so much more well-developed than Jin and Cassian's. So I mentioned earlier about the changes um, from the trailer to the finished movie. Um, and so let's talk about the reshoots, uh, specifically Tony Gilroy's reshoots, um, because it was pretty obvious when the movie came out, uh, comparing it to the trailers, that some scenes were missing completely uh, and or had been changed from what you saw. Um, so back in 2014, Gareth Edwards assembled a crude cut of the movie he wanted to make. So he used a rough story outline and he also included clips from other movies like Aliens and War Games to figure out the structure of the movie. This was before a script was even written. And once production was underway, editors would go through the shot material to come up with a first draft version of the movie, knowing, like with all movies, um, that you would probably have to do some reshoots. Um, Disney saw the first cut of the movie and they weren't happy with it. Um, and they ordered the reshoot shortly after. 
And this was when Tony Gilroy was brought in to handle the retooling of the movie from an editorial point of view. He took over the production and he conceptualised additional scenes, such as the introduction to Cassian, where he shoots his informant, where he definitely shot first, by the way, and also Jin's escape from the Imperial transporter on Webani. Uh, scenes shot on the beaches of Scarif, uh, a chase sequence, the deaths of K2SO and Cassian on the beach, Krennic strolling across the beach and Jin facing down a TIE fighter were all removed from the finished movie, as was most of the development and involvement of Saw Gerrera. And many of those scenes were probably never going to be in the movie in the first place. Um, it's been mentioned by several people who actually worked on this movie that a lot of the things that they shot for the trailer were just random ideas that looked good, that they looked Star Warsy, So they got shot, they got added to a trailer, but never actually materialised in the final film. For no reason other than narratively, they made no sense to include. They just look cool. The problem that is kind of apparent change in the direction of the movie is that a lot of the character decisions, um, such as when Saw Gerrera decides to stay on Jeddah to die, um, and also Jin's apparent change in demeanour from, you know, a disinterested pacifist to a rebellious warrior with anti-stormtrooper aim, doesn't actually flow quite as well in the finished movie. It feels very jarring. Um, And I think often it's very difficult to understand a character's motivations if they start out one way and then they all of a sudden change their minds. Um, And that's very much how it feels with Jin. Um, And I like Jin as a character, but I kind of feel like with this movie, it's very much an ensemble piece. And obviously, although Jin is the main focus of the movie, she's not the most well-developed character in the movie because to be fair none of them really are well-developed but there's there's a good reason for that I think um, and we'll come to that a bit later um, while many thought that Disney had demanded the movie be reshot to be lighter in tone um, and a bit more comedic um, it actually ended up much darker than originally planned Lucasfilm and by extension Disney because although Lucasfilm can make whatever movie they want ultimately Disney sign off on it um, and they were not averse to agreeing with the decision to kill off everyone in the cast um, and this is despite the fact that a Cassian and K2SO series is in development apparently um, it's obviously a prequel to this but and obviously uh, the other thing that they added um, in reshoots was the Darth Vader corridor scene uh, that was a late stage idea and it's arguably one of the best and most memorable scenes in the entire movie it's almost like they thought bugger it let's just go as all out as we possibly can on this it is a movie that arguably starts very slow but it gets better as it goes on Uh, and it's easy to credit the reshoots with that Um, but unless they you know hashtag release a scarif cut or whatever we're never going to know what the original cut was like and I'm okay with that I am Rogue One as the Rogue One of the series does a good job Um, and that's kind of against all of the odds because I don't think it was ever intended to do as well as it did Um, but I think a lot of people resonated with the story more so than the characters I would think but again we'll we'll come to the characters Um, I think the one thing most people can agree on with Rogue One is the um, shall we say uncanny valiness of the likenesses of specifically Peter Cushing but also Carrie Fisher Um, And it's more so with Cushing's 
Grand Moff Tarkin because he appears for longer and he's more central in the movie. Um, and actor Guy Henry did a screen test of himself in makeup doing his best Cushing impersonation, which was enough to convince Gareth Edwards, Lucasfilm and Disney of the talent required to portray the character. But the plan had always been to utilise the actor as a living skeleton and to have his face replaced with a digital version of Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing died in 1994 and his estate ultimately agreed for his likeness to be manipulated and used based on the fact that it was an honourable use of the actor's likeness. They were very involved in the process down to the smallest of adjustments. The process was incredibly complex and costly and it still elicits a mixed response. For me, it's always the mouth that's never quite right. Um, And Guy Henry, uh, obviously as an actor, found it incredibly taxing to motion capture the character's mannerisms and voice correctly and he felt an immense pressure to get it right. He's quoted as saying he experienced anxiety and fear especially during the months of reshoots when he was asked to return. After seeing the movie though he's said that he has no regrets which is nice. Um, It's also not the first time that an actor has essentially been brought back from the dead in a manner of speaking. You know, other examples, you could include Brandon Lee in The Crow, Oliver Reed in Gladiator, Paul Walker in The Fast and the Furious 7, I think. I can't remember. In one of the Fast and Furious movies, um, Audrey Hepburn also famously in an advert for Creamy Delicious Chocolate um, and also musicians as well. Um, holographic concerts featuring the likes of Elvis and Tupac. You know, they've, they've happened. Um It's something that seems to have becoming a bit more of a reality now. Um, I mean, when we're talking about movies like The Crow, which was 1994, I believe, um, and obviously the technology wasn't really there, but luckily The Crow's incredibly dark, so you can't really see much of uh, Brandon Lee's face anyway. But it feels very much like this is kind of becoming the norm. Um, And the late Robin Williams, I think he had an inkling that this might happen because his likeness and his name and signature is protected uh, until 2039 from being used in any such way by any production in Hollywood. Um, But a lot of actors do seem to be very interested in having their heads and bodies scanned to future-proof their image, uh, legal, ethical and moral standpoints aside. The technology for recreating a living person's likeness has been used on living actors to de-age them Uh, in recent years, such as Michael Douglas, Robert Downey Jr., Kurt Russell, and Samuel L. Jackson in Marvel movies, as well as obviously uh, most recently in The Irishman. Uh, Each time the actor has been living uh, and also has reference points from an earlier career as well, which I think helps immensely. Carrie Fisher, meanwhile, approved of her younger likeness being used and was in favour of it. Um, Unfortunately and sadly, she passed away literally a couple of weeks after Rogue One's release. Um, And for her ongoing appearances in the Skywalker saga, it was a mix of unused footage and a digital likeness superimposed onto her daughter, Billy Lord, um, with Lord's permission, obviously. It could be argued with Grand Moff Tarkin that they didn't need to recreate him. We could have made do with a similar looking actor, of, of which there must be at least one in the entire world or even Guy Henry in makeup, or shot him from reflections, which they do tease at the start, and actually that looks really effective, but then he turns around, um, and then that's kind of where the problem starts. It's probably one of the biggest missteps the movie makes, 
but it's not terrible. Um, It's likely that the technology to make a fully realised CGI human just doesn't exist. Um, It'll always be just off. And that is the uncanny valley effect where our human brains just can't quite see that the thing in front of us is real. Um, The main problem with Tarkin is that his use somewhat dulls the brief appearance of Leia at the end, which again doesn't look quite right. But I kind of feel like if Carrie Fisher was happy with it, then who are we to judge? Uh, The problem with Tarkin is, um, and by extension Peter Cushing, that although his estate agreed, he personally did not. And would he have agreed if he was still alive? And perhaps he would, but obviously he's not here to ask. So I think there is a lot of ethical and moral questions surrounding the use of the likeness of someone who's no longer here to give permission. Um, The fact that Carrie Fisher was and gave her permission... uh, I think makes the layer scene, although it's brief, kind of feel a bit more justified. Um, but yeah, that Grandma of Tarkin, I feel like they they do the best possible job that they can, and it's commendable. It really is, but it's not entirely necessary. I want to briefly talk about the music um, because I feel like when we talk about Star Wars score and the great John Williams score. Um, I feel like his score is so iconic for Star Wars. Everyone knows it. Um, It's very imposing. Um, And I feel like anyone taking over from John Williams um, has a real task on their hands. But I really, really like Michael Giacchino's score. And I think it's because it ties in the classic Star Wars theme but it adds something different. Um, and I spoke about Michael Giacchino uh, on the episode that I did on The Incredibles, um, which again I, is a score that I absolutely love and I think is just brilliant. Um, I also really, really like this score as well. Um, he actually gave the tracks very funny, punny names, um, which were rejected ultimately uh, and replaced by regular boring names. But some of the best names that he created were based and confused, Jeddakul Saw, Jincarcerated, and Takes One to Rogue One. Uh, and yeah, they all got replaced with really boring names. <laughs> so uh, I think I prefer the Michael Giacchino uh, fun names. But um, there was also uh, a prequel novel to this movie. It was called Catalyst. It's written by James Lucino, and it explains the backstory between Orson Krennic and the Urso family and the events just before the Urso family escape to live on Lamu. And this is obviously how Krennic knows where they are. And they obviously have a relationship with Krennic that's not explored in this movie, but it is explored in the prequel novel Catalyst. So one thing that I like to do in every episode is I like to try and link the movie that I'm talking about with the wonderful Keanu Reeves, who is my absolute favourite. Um... So, Keanu Reeves has not been in a Star Wars movie. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, there's that. But um, I did find something quite interesting. I found that Keanu Reeves is actually a fan favourite choice to play a character called Darth Reaven. I hope I pronounced that correctly. It's either Reaven or Reaven in a movie adaptation of Knights of the Old Republic. Um, someone's even made a trailer for it 
and 5,000 fans have signed a petition on change.org for Keanu Reeves to play the role in a Knights of the Old Republic movie. Um, so basically that's my obligatory Keanu reference. Um, it was actually very easy. (laughs) I I always get quite worried when I can't immediately think of something, but thanks to the internet, uh, and the fans of Knights of the Old Republic, um, hopefully you'll get your wish and Keanu Reeves will be in your movie. Uh, because the trailer's actually quite cool that they've made, but, um, so, uh, Reven or Revan, I don't know what it is. But let's pronounce, Let's say I'm pronouncing it right. So he is basically a Jedi who served in the Mandalorian Wars and essentially fell to the dark side, becoming Darth Revan. Revan. Yes, that one. Um, which is quite uh, interesting as well when we currently have a TV show on Disney+, Plus, which is The Mandalorian. So it could tie in quite nicely, actually, to The Mandalorian. Uh, I, I assume. <laughs> I assume. I don't know for certain. I'm just taking these words and just making stuff up but uh, I assume the Mandalorian Wars are linked to the Mandalorian and there could be something from that Um, so this movie was made on a budget of 200 million dollars and it ended up making 1.05 billion dollars worldwide Uh, currently ranks as the 36th highest grossing movie at the box office ever unadjusted for inflation that is just behind the rise of skywalker at number 32 the last jedi is at number 14 and the force awakens is at number four lucasfilm and by extension disney planned a series of anthology movies post the success of rogue one and the first one that came out was solo that came out in 2018 and had the distinction of being based on an incredibly well-known and well-loved character obviously originally played by harrison ford uh played by alden ehrenreich and co-starring woody harrelson amelia clark donald glover tandy newton paul bettany another knight's tale alumni and phoebe waller bridge solo um, was somewhat of a disappointment though only bringing in just under 400 million dollars and the relative disappointment of Solo seems to have caused a shift in the force for Lucasfilm. They had a Boba Fett film in the early stages that was due to be written and directed by Logan, another uh, podcast episode for you there, director James Mangold, but the studio chose to instead focus on The Mandalorian, uh, which is again more of a spin-off of the extended universe, very much like Rogue One, and also like Rogue One, benefiting from a lack of ties to the existing universe there was also talk of an obi-wan movie a jabba the hut movie a yoda movie and the previously mentioned knights of the old republic nothing seems to have really come to fruition um and that's perhaps because they've been burned by solo um but i think they've also been buoyed by rogue one and the mandalorian because it's been established that the star wars universe is potentially a very rich source of material without the need to use existing characters I feel like we don't need to know what Obi-Wan Kenobi was doing in between these movies. We can kind of already guess. And I feel like, yes, it would be really nice to see Ewan McGregor back um, as Obi-Wan. But is it really necessary? Do we really need to know? What about all of the other stories that are going on 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 these worlds during this time? There's got to be a goldmine of story possibility there and it's been proven by the mandalorian which was pretty much consistently great actually apart from a you know a couple of middling episodes that weren't as good everything else about the mandalorian was superb and it tied the 
Mandalorian into the Star Wars universe in a very subtle and very nice way. And it does exactly the same with Rogue One. There are very subtle hints to the Star Wars universe, other than the fact that you've got Darth Vader and Princess Leia and Grand Moff Tarkin and, and all of those characters. It also ties it in with some little references, references to things like Blue Milk, uh, references to characters that we see a bit later on. Um, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but the the two guys that Luke meets in the cantina are featured in this movie. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to cover Rogue One. It feels like the easiest thing to, to kind of cover. If you're going to talk about a Star Wars movie, um, Rogue One just kind of seems to fit the bill quite nicely uh, as a standalone movie existing within this world and that's like I say one of the reasons why I chose it right over to social media thoughts because I actually got a lot of thoughts about this movie which I expected and I also expected a a mix of thoughts because I fully prepared myself for someone to say I don't like Rogue One and you'll be pleased to know that I was not disappointed because someone does not like Rogue One but uh the vast majority of people do like it so over on twitter andy at geek salad radio said i must admit i got incredibly excited watching the rebellion pushing the star destroyers into each other much like the holdo maneuver a trick that can cinematically only work once and that's all the better for it by the way i have a filter on um this piece of software that i use for recording um it's called darth vader And so that is what I'm using to distort voices uh, this episode. It probably doesn't sound anything like Darth Vader, but if you're going to use the Darth Vader voice, you might as well use it for a Star Wars movie. At Derek Jones 198 said, It's a fun movie for sure, but Jin goes from being pushed into the rebellion under threat of imprisonment and violence to give rousing speeches about hope. Not sure it works. However, I love seeing the dark side of the rebellion and the final battle is one of the best in the galaxy. At Robin Hood Pod said, I love Rogue One. Having been a bit disappointed by episodes eight and nine, I was delighted by this and Solo. I felt they were able to balance nostalgia with world building really well. CGI Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher were silly though. At Nerds with Friend said, Liked it when I saw it in theatres. Loved it after watching Star Wars Rebels. Dave Filoni's take on Star Wars is fire, fire, fire. At Movies Work said, The only Star Wars film to truly have scope. Size suddenly felt more defined and helped bring things to life. The happy surprise of the franchise era. At The Midnight Myth said, A flawed but ultimately thrilling edge-of-your-seat ride. It brought a lot of people to Star Wars who weren't big fans of the Skywalker saga, which I think is valuable, and the diversity of the cast is commendable. At Deep Into History said, It's the only Disney Space Wars film that I consider actual Star Wars canon. At Pulp Serial. I hate Rogue One. (laughs) Felicity Jones gives a completely wooden performance, but the writers didn't give her anything to work with, so I kind of understand. CGI Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher are insanely disrespectful. I went to the bathroom in the middle and I don't regret it. Bleh. And I have to say, I do completely understand the feeling of disrespect um, for the CGI Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher. But again... Carrie Fisher did approve of her likeness. Um, It's just a shame that they decided to use an actor who is no longer with us. But, um, and 
to that, so to that comment by uh, at Pulp Serial, at Alamo Lauren came back and said, In all fairness, Felicity Jones is wooden in everything. And I say this as someone who loved on the basis of sex, but she was wooden in that too. Uh, he replied, Then maybe we shouldn't have cast her in a role where she's longing to find her family and be complete. She was giving us nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Alamo Lauren said, A lot of actors get cast in roles they shouldn't be cast in. For me, Rogue One is beyond her, meaning she's the least important role for me, even though she's the lead. I don't watch or enjoy the movie for her story arc. Um, and, yeah, I I actually kind of agree with that. Um, she kind of does feel like the least important role because it is a bit more of an ensemble. Her story arc isn't actually that interesting, um, but I like the ensemble nature uh, and this is where kind of at Pulp Serial comes back and says he wishes he could get the original cut and that 90% of what's in the trailers is not in the movie, which in this case is probably a bit true, actually. At Callum the Film Guy said, I think it's a little too hollow character-wise to be one of my personal faves in the Star Wars universe, but its direction and similarities to the war genre are much welcomed and its third act is terrific. At Oral MFC said, It has many great moments with good characters, but also a lot of odd choices and clunky reshoots. I have not gone back since the first time due to the ghastly CGI faces on Tarkin and Leia. K2 is still my favourite part of the movie, hands down. And we haven't really talked about K2SO, and I haven't really talked about any of the characters, really. Some of the characters are really, really standout great. Um, And K2SO is one of those characters that... um, is obviously a complete motion capture performance by Alan Tudyk, but also feels very real for a CGI character. Um, and that's something that you don't often find um, where you have a movie with CGI characters. I mean, this movie has um, it has a scene with like this weird sort of tentacle squid thing. I think it's portcullet. I think it's called, um, and it just seems completely nonsensical because it's supposed to essentially take all of the information out of Bodhi Rook's mind um, and turn him into a vegetable. But it actually doesn't. So it kind of serves very little purpose for the finished film. But um, K2SO is very much a standout. I think I think Alan Tudyk is pretty brilliant just generally. Um, I don't can't remember if I made it clear how much I love Alan Tudyk in... Um, when I talked in A Knight's Tale, but I have a bit of a thing for Alan Tudyk. He's one of my, um, he's one of those weird crushes. You know, those weird crushes that you have. I've kind of always had one for Alan Tudyk. Um, and that's probably another reason why I'm going to be featuring him in another movie next month, because um, I love him. At OSW Podcast One said, This is a fantastic film that paved the way for what non saga films could be like. That said, I really wish we could have seen the original gritty war cut to be something really different. I'd love to see Star Wars evolve through other genres, but still in a galaxy far, far away. And finally, at Waffles Mario said, My second favourite Star Wars film, good action, good character work, really fleshed out the universe, an underrated gem. Moving over to Instagram, at Lady Hendo, who is my friend Claudia, by the way, said, I marched into Rogue One as an afterthought. Wasn't too excited at all to watch it. Fast forward 1.5 hours or so, I'm quietly sobbing in the cinema over characters I honestly didn't think I would care about. The writing and acting were on par. Also, my heart died a little when Bale announced he was returning to Alderaan. I'm sure I let out a little... 
I loved seeing Diego Luna on screen and in Star Wars. As a Mexican-American, it gives me great joy to see an actor of Mexican descent in American films. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is the reason why we talk about, and I know I've talked about it on this podcast before, about diversity in film and to have a character on film that you can personally understand and associate with and feel like you're being represented um and i think that just kind of summarizes it all that if you are uh, a mexican-american or if you are um chinese or if you are of pakistani descent or if you're just completely white like me a white woman um you can see a character on screen that represents you um and that's really nice. It's really nice to have a universe like that, especially in something like Star Wars, which if you look at some of the movies, they have not been that brilliant with representation. And I think Rogue One just really smashes it because it, it kind of doesn't... The actors have been chosen for the fact that they were the right actors for the job rather than the roles calling for you know, actors of... Mexican descent or of Chinese descent um and that's one of the reasons why I think I really love this movie is I think it shows how brilliant being inclusive really works um because I really do think it does and just finally uh, over on Facebook Eric got in touch to say it's got some really fun action scenes especially the one with Vader more of that please and great performances but the characters felt feel underdeveloped so, except for the third act, I wasn't able to get emotionally attached. The CGI on Tarkin and Leia was a bit distracting and creepy as well. So, to summarise Rogue One, I feel like with Rogue One being a standalone story, with completely new characters that are established just for this movie, I think they actually did a pretty good job setting them up. Yes, they weren't given a great amount of depth and the movie often feels like it has to shove existing Star Wars references in just to remind the viewer that this is set in the same universe. And ultimately, this is a war movie uh, and these characters are the sort you're supposed to care about enough for them to become expendable. These are the soldiers sent to their deaths for the greater good. These are the nameless. And while they don't get mentioned in any future Star Wars movies... The nameless soldiers who die for the ultimate end never do. Uh, we, as the viewer, just got the opportunity to know them. Unlike the other fighters, we never get to know. And that's kind of what I take from Rogue One. The, the bravery of the nameless and their sacrifices is what ultimately gives the good guys, in this case the Rebellion, what they need to continue the fight. Be it as simple as hope, that's what wins wars. Hope and sacrifice. And ultimately, that's why I love Rogue One. It's not perfect, but like a soldier, it does the job it sets out to do. I will never not be saddened by the deaths of these characters. I think it enriches the world of Star Wars by giving the nameless names. Watching A New Hope after this feels deeper and more consequential with Rogue One just before it. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on row one. Next episode is something a few people have been asking for. Uh, back in March, I concluded the animation season. And one of the things I did was a special triple bill set of episodes for the podcast anniversary on Studio Ghibli. 
And the chosen episodes were Spirited Away, Hell's Moving Castle and My Neighbour Totoro. But I know a lot of people wanted Princess Mononoke. Uh, So I think you know where I'm going with this. But the next episode is going to be on Hayao Miyazaki's fantasy war anime. Uh, And it's one that I'm really, really looking forward to covering. So I hope you will join me next week for my thoughts and just general thoughts on Princess Mononoke. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on... <laughs> this list is just ridiculous. Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992 and 2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix... John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery Men, Passengers, Stardust, Constantine, After Christmas, Akira, Kubo and the Two Strings, The Incredibles, The Lego Movie, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, Treasure Planet, Clueless, Hellboy 2004, Hellboy 2 The Golden Army, Bridesmaids, Tremors, The John Wick Trilogy, A League of Their Own, A Knight's Tale and Little Shop of Horrors 1986. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. Woo! I really need to think about how I'm going to condense that list down. What I'm thinking is I might, instead of doing the full list, because it's getting ridiculous, I might instead, I'm thinking about doing a, if you like this episode, I've also done episodes on... And then listing similar episodes. Um, I mean, let me know what you think about that. Uh, Maybe I could list episodes that are, you know, a similar genre or that have links to the episode. I'm not sure, but I feel like I can't go on like listing. Um, I'm almost at 50 episodes and I don't think I can list 50 movies. It's just going to take me forever. Um, But yeah, let me know what you think uh, I should do with these with these lists um i mean if you want me to list like 200 if if i ever get to 200 episodes if you want me to list 200 movies i'll list 200 movies but uh yeah it's uh it's a lot uh you can follow me if you wish on social media i am on twitter facebook instagram youtube and letterboxd at verbal diorama uh, you can sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash verbal diorama from $2 a month and you get some fab perks such as access to the upcoming schedule, a shout out on the next episode, a uh, shout out on Twitter um, and you also get episodes slightly earlier than everyone else as well. Um, so I'd like to say a big thank you to the patrons of this podcast, Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen and Kat for supporting the podcast. Um, One thing that I've done recently and I'm hoping that you've actually heard a bit of a difference is I actually bought some new equipment. Um, I've bought a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 Studio so I now have a lovely Focusrite amp um, and a new headset and a new microphone and um, I've been playing with it and trying to basically make it sound better um, because one of the constructive criticism I got was that the audio could have been better so I'm hoping that this episode you've heard a bit of a difference and if so uh, that it was through 
uh, contribution from the patrons and also some of my own money. I kind of put it all together and I bought this equipment. So um, I'm constantly trying to um, invest into this podcast to try and make it better. Um, And the only way I can do that is by with the help of my wonderful patrons. So I'm, I'm really genuinely very grateful. You can also email me if you want to, uh, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi. Um, you can talk to me about the podcast. You can say what you like, what you don't like. Um, you can also suggest stuff to me if you want. Um, my website is verbaldiorama.com. If you like what I do um, and you feel like you can't financially support the podcast, that I completely understand. But what you can do is you can go onto Apple Podcasts um, and you can leave a five star rating and a review as well. Um, And that will really help because I will see that uh, eventually. And it's really nice to read um, a really positive review uh, it give, makes me feel really nice um, and um, yeah it also makes the podcast a bit easier for people to find as well the more reviews and ratings it has so um, I'd really appreciate if you could do that that would be awesome I always mention Film Stories magazine the latest edition of which has just literally dropped on my doorstep um, so and the latest issue is massive as well it's absolutely huge um, it's an independent British movie magazine and I would love it if you would give it your full support if you can um, and you can go to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine you can purchase uh, copies of the back catalogue or you can subscribe I think they've still got a subscription deal going on for UK uh, based people at the moment where you can get a discount off the first three uh, issues um, but there's some really really wonderful features in the magazine I am one of them um, but obviously if you can't afford to do that then instead you could go to film stories online uh, and you can check out the website there um, I have a weekly article that I do recommending great British movie podcasts and I also update an iPlayer list as well so um, please go onto the website if you can't support film stories financially you could at least support them by going on the website reading the articles maybe clicking on an ad or something because that generates revenue for them so um, so yeah do do whatever you can is basically what I'm saying Um, and finally I feel like hope is something we can all do with right now uh rebellions are built on it sacrifices are made for it um it's okay to hope it's okay to hope for a better future a future that we might not see but that our children and our grandchildren hopefully will see hope is worth having even if it's the rogue one before a new hope bye